I actually think that, that that way of learning is beneficial for people starting out. I think that you get a much better sense of what the industry is actually like uh, and you learn really quickly. People have different lived experiences and that's really valuable, you know, appreciating the value of different ideas, different ways to solve a problem. And it's so beneficial to have a diverse team um, and to embrace all of the different viewpoints of the people in that team. To see it written and to see it um, spoken about in Scottish Government is really reassuring. It feels like um, something's been done from the top, which is great. Welcome to the Theatre Art Live podcast, and hello. We're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Aguilera. And my name is Anna Robb. On this episode, we'll be talking to Claire Hibbard about gender disparity among sound engineers and in education. Claire graduated from the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama in London in theatre practice sound design. She worked extensively in musical theatre sound departments across the West End and on national and international tours for nearly 10 years before completing a PGCE at Canterbury Christ Church University, Kent, and then teaching science at a large comprehensive school in the south of England. In 2015, she relocated to Amman to work at the Royal Opera House Muscat as a senior sound technician. Since joining the Royal Conservatory of Scotland in 2018 as a sound lecturer on the BA Production Technology Management course, Claire has completed her PG cert in higher arts education and contributed a chapter to Audio Education, Theory, Culture and Practice, edited by Daniel Walzer and Mariana Lopez. Hello, welcome to the show. Fantastic. Can you tell us a little bit, beyond what we just said in terms of the bio, tell us a little bit about uh, you as a person and what got you into sound? I started in sound really through school. I was a very musical student and I spent a lot of my time in the musical music department. Um, my music teacher recognised I wasn't particularly a performer, although I played the piano and saxophone and I sang in all the choirs and things. And it was coming up to a school production and she asked me whether I'd be interested in looking after the radio mics. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I had to go at it. Uh, I think it was a production of Annie. Uh, so I ran radio mics for that show. And through that, I met some people who were doing the lighting for the local amateur dramatic shows. Uh, and we became great friends. We're still friends today, actually. And um, we did all of the local shows uh, and one of those friends had been to Central School of Speech and Drama to study when it was the stage management program. Uh, and he suggested that I went and had a look at it. Uh, I did and I liked it and I interviewed and I got in. And that's how I started, I guess. Um, because I was at Central, it was very easy for me to dep in the West End. So um, from my second year, I started depping on Blood Brothers. And from there, I, I got on to other shows. That sounds very interesting. Like you've been involved through education settings and you have an interest in education for a long time. What role does it exactly play for you? Education has always been really important to me. I stayed in contact with my school and with Central right from the very beginning. I used to go back and do radio mic workshops. But it wasn't really until 
I was about 30 that I decided that I wanted to go and train as a teacher. Uh, so I was working on Matilda at the time. I finished my contract and signed up to do a PGC at Canterbury Christchurch University. Um, I studied middle years, which meant that I did placements in primary schools and a high school. Uh, and I wasn't really sure what area that I wanted to go into at the time. You had to study a specialism. So I, des I, uh, I chose design technology because I thought that fitted theatre quite well. But when I came to graduate, there wasn't many jobs in uh, design technology. And I actually ended up working for uh, as a science teacher at a high school. And the bonus to that was that I was teaching a sort of lower school and I came at it from a pretty different angle, as you can imagine, from other uh, science teachers. I didn't have a science degree. So a lot of my science lessons included the arts and crafts box and we stuck things to the windows and drew on the floor and that sort of thing. So that was that stage in my life, I suppose. Um, I was work I was working there for a couple of years and um, I had a phone call, as you do in theatre, from a friend who was working in Oman uh, who suggested that I apply for a technician's role in the sound department there. Uh, I did that and then I found myself on a plane out to Oman and I worked there for two and a half years in the sound department. Uh, that was part of the Omanization program there. Uh, that was a very uh, interesting move for me because it meant that I could apply a lot of my teaching skills, a lot of what I'd been learning over the previous few years um, to a new setting. We were working alongside Amani staff who weren't trained in theatre and were brought into the department to work straight away um, with the team and other expats from around the world as well. Uh, so it's been really important and I think it's really shaped who I am uh, and my approach to things. Can you explain the differences for you between like formal education, professional training and workshops and mentorship? I know there's a lot of people in our industry that, you know, wonder what path and how to, even in our industry, how to get through and into the industry. And, you know, what are the different avenues that people can explore? So different types of education, really for different stages of life, different people, different approaches. Formal education for me was important. I needed to meet the right people. Um, I needed that sort of immersive environment. I was a very, very young, um, 18 when I left school. Um, I didn't go to sixth form college or anything like that. So I, from a social point of view, it was really important for me that I moved to London and I lived away from home and I met new people. For other people, on-the-job training works better for them, a bit like the Amonization program that, uh, that had amazing results and the, the guys that are working in that department are amazing sound engineers. And then other times, if you, you know, you might want to do a workshop, if you just want to top up a skill or maybe learn something new and then go away and practice it. Yeah, and then mentorships, really important as well. But I think that can work alongside um, something that you're already involved in. And maybe you have more of a choice about who you decide to be your mentor. I know I've had several uh, mentors, not, not officially, um, people that I look up to or um, people with a lot more knowledge than me. It's been really helpful, um, but that's definitely been something that I've done alongside other things. Yeah. Talk a little bit, if you were to compare the, the training system and the, or the training program you started in Moscat uh, with your experience right now teaching at a conservatory, how do those two experiences overlap or are different or are similar? 
The programme that I'm currently lecturing on at the moment is a BA, it's an ordinary degree, uh, which is three years. That is a completely different scenario to um, what I was working on in Muscat. There was no uh, formal certification for the guys that were taking part in that programme other than they became really good at the job in the location. So they really knew the building um, and they really knew the sorts of performances that were coming in. They are two entirely different things. I think sort of more formal training maybe gives you more flexibility to be able to move to other areas. It it really depends what you want to do uh, and whether you've got an idea of where you want to end up. Absolutely. With the training that you did in in Oman, you said it was mostly hands-on. Was there any theory associated or were you putting them on the shows pretty much straight away uh, as as they were coming into the venue? The training in Oman didn't have any theory associated with it. It was was a really fast-paced building to work in. We had very large-scale operas and ballets and uh, classical concerts, uh, Arabic music coming in every week and... It was very much all hands on deck. I actually think that 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 way of learning is beneficial for people starting out. I think that you get a much better sense of what the industry is actually like uh, and you learn really quickly. Going back a little bit to what happens in the UK, uh, there are some statistics from The Guardian and other entities or articles that I saw that about... 68% 68% of the theatre goers in the UK are female, yet in general there is a disparity of two men per one woman that work on stage, and that's not taking into consideration all the technical areas. And um, you're a part of Sound Girls. On its website says that it's uh, 5% of the sound engineers are female. I was so surprised because I know a bunch of female engineers, but 5% is so little. Yes, the balance between males and females in the audio industry is still uh, really unbalanced. Uh, But there's a lot of work going on to address that, Um, sound girls being one of them. It is a massive issue and it's it's complex as well. There's research that says that there's some nice links back to music education and the way that music's taught in schools um, and some good comparisons to be made between females who start off um, at school studying music and then end up in the industry uh, there's a huge dropout rate and I think that can be compared to uh, a similar thing happens in the sound industry there's a lot of barriers um, if if you want to be a mother for example it's difficult to um, stay working eight or sh- nine shows a week touring it's really it absolutely can be done i've known people to do it but i think uh, that lifestyle really puts a lot of people off what do you think is the the barriers now i mean even though there has been an improvement what are the further barriers that need to be broken down to get more equity in in say particularly sound or in the theater industry i think the biggest barrier that needs to be broken to get more uh, equity generally in the industry is about Uh, understanding different people's point of view, different brain diversity, um, understanding that not everybody is going to be the same, thinking the same way as you do. People have different lived experiences and that's really valuable, you know, appreciating the value of different ideas, different ways to solve a problem. And it's so beneficial to have 
a diverse team um, and to embrace all of the different viewpoints of the people in that team. How do you think the changes in legislation in Scotland have benefit the improvement and the disparity like the the this legislation were in higher education, uh, there has to be at least a ratio of 75 to 25, regardless of the gender. I mean, I guess I, that can go for dancers or stage managers, right? Like that are usually female-driven careers. And then the fact that they have to be open over, about the, the gender pay, uh, the difference in the pay that there is in the, the, the government institutions. Legislation in Scotland has been really interesting to learn about since I've been here. There is legislation in place to close the gender gap in industry, things like nursing and teaching that have a very female uh, orientated workforce. I've heard from colleges that are encouraging uh, more women into building industry and to see it written and to see it um, spoken about in Scottish government is really reassuring. It feels like um, something has been done from the top, which is great. Do you think also that, that, that perhaps the people not staying in the industry, females not staying in the industry on long term is perhaps because creating a family and having the same career trajectory as maybe perhaps a man isn't feasible to do both and it, it's quite difficult for people to, um, you know, maintain that, the work-life the work balance for a woman. Do you think that plays into people not staying the course? I definitely do think that the number of women staying in the industry uh, has to do with the work-life balance. I feel like I managed to do it until I was 30 and then things like uh the pay uh, can come into effect. So, for example, I was living in a shared house and by the time I got to 30, I decided that I really wanted to be able to afford my own place. You know, it's unsociable hours, working weekends. It's not great for family life, for example. Yeah, it definitely it definitely has an impact. Yeah, I mean, I definitely would like to see, you know, because it's one thing to get, to create a pathway for women to get into the industry, but it's another thing to, you know, have the environment for them to stay within it. And I, and I would really love to see, uh, you know, I, I've experienced that in, in my career, you know, over 20 years, certain circumstances where it seemed impossible to be to be a, a mother and and stay in the industry. Um, so, I would if I can if I've got opportunity to help make that an conducive environment, then I'd want to be a part of that. And I think um, we we have to women have to keep speaking up and men to create the environment in which which uh, people can stay within it. And like you said, awareness and advocacy for it. The industry being more inclusive, women definitely makes it better for everybody. Like I was saying, the. Uh, just the approach to problem solving, um, having a team with varied skills, you know, not everybody with the same, coming from the same place or looking at something in the same way. It's definitely a better experience. And, you know, a lot of us have lived experience of this. So tell us about the Scottish tradition. There's a lot of creativity, artists, theatre. There is a very vibrant scene in Scotland. How does that reflect on the culture and the society? Uh, living in Scotland, especially in Glasgow, uh, is a fantastic place for theatre, for music, for arts. 
is probably one of the best places I've lived for that. It feels really open and free, of course, at the moment during COVID, the things have been limited, but still the online throughput has been incredible here. Uh, during lockdown, a lot of the Scottish companies have been producing online content. Um, Scottish Ballet, particularly, um, producing some really interesting films. They've got a new one coming up shortly. Uh, National Theatre of Scotland as well. They did a panto this year, for example, that was available online. And their short scenes as well, their scenes for survival, have been really good. That's amazing. Before we probably get to the last few questions, I just want to ask it's a little bit back to the gender disparity in, in terms of, and in your opinion as an educator, how can people like Anna and myself be advocates for, you know, greater gender equity in, in the workplace? What can we do as a person that is in the workplace? What, what can we do to help? Bridging gender disparity um, in the workforce is the most powerful thing that we can do. I think getting on board with people like Soundgirls, understanding that, taking it seriously. Um, if you're in charge of employing people, then maybe looking a bit a bit wider beyond what's on the tick sheet of, of skills and looking at wider skills is really important. Uh, and thinking about how different people have different opportunities and maybe if they don't know a particular console or a particular piece of kit or they haven't worked in a particular place you know that's that's for a reason and understanding that are there any articles uh that you recommend or um where can people look for the articles you've written the the books or the chapter in the book that you've written Uh, one of the um, leading pieces of research um, has been by Dr. Liz Dobson. Um, her work has looked at audio disparity and tried to address some of that within the industry. We always have some book resources on our website as well that I like. That, that if people recommend, we put on our website for for uh, people to look at. So we'll we'll add that one to the list for sure. <laughs> um, one more thing: what's the thing that you you'd say that you like most about your job now in terms of what you're doing? The thing I like most about my job is working with the students. They amaze me every single day with their creativity and their approach uh, and their open mindedness to new situations. Yeah, that's definitely my favorite part. Thank you very much for joining us and for being such an advocate, big advocate for uh, cultural diversity, dialogue, understanding, making the industry a better place. Thanks, Claire. We would love to hear from you, our listeners, on who you would like us to feature on this podcast or what topics fascinate you. There's a link in our podcast description where you can send us your podcast requests and guest nominations. Theatre Art Life provides regular monthly webinars and podcasts for free, and if you have the means, donations can be made via a link in the podcast description. We would be thankful for any support you can give us. You can learn more about Theatre Art Life, the global media site for entertainment, at www.theatreartlife.com, and you can follow us on all social media platforms. We want to thank David Zare for composing the music for our podcast. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Life podcast. Thanks for listening.